You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today is going to be a little bit of a mishmash, and how in-depth I go on some of these things is going to depend how long some of these other things take. But a little bit of NFL stuff, some Packers stuff, some Senior Bowl stuff, things of that nature. I think we're going to be able to go in-depth, but I don't really know. But anyways, before we get into this uh, exploratory territory, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast. Got a couple other links in the description if you'd rather do PayPal or Venmo. All donations are appreciated and can do for as little as a dollar a month, with the exception of uh, PayPal. Don't do a dollar into PayPal. There's no reason to do that. I will get almost none of that. I mean, you can if you want to make a donation to PayPal, but I'm just saying. Packernet.com for all your news, notes, and information regarding the Green Bay Packers. It's how I start my day. Maybe you should too. NFLBigBoard.com. Um, I did some uh, updates. Not an official board update. Like I said, I want to wait until next week. But I did add a bunch of uh, scouting reports. So just about all the quarterbacks. I'll say most of the quarterbacks. And I've started to do a handful of uh, running back scouting reports. Um, again, I, I get these from Mark Jarvis. His website is What's on NFL Draft. He's got a really cool spreadsheet, and um, basically the guy just works really hard on this stuff. I asked him if he wanted to come just do it for the site, and um, he said he doesn't really like the layout of it, which is understandable because if you check out his spreadsheet, it looks looks real pretty. But he said uh, he'd be more than happy to uh, feature his stuff on the site, so pretty happy to have him and uh, have his insights because it's very, very, very in-depth. And now you get to come to NFL Big Board, you get to see the highlights and the film and all the stuff on top of being the board, and then check out his scouting reports, which uh, I put into slightly more boring, generic format. Just words, not all the pretty pictures and whatnot. Otherwise, get in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group, or if you have a question, call or text 608-501-0718. If you'd like to call in to get something off your chest, give your opinion on something, whatever, and have it featured on the show, 608-501-0718. So a couple different things uh, as far as the NFL is concerned. First of all, our tight ends coach, Angelicchio, uh, is now with the Washington Redskins. Don't really care other than it'll be interesting to see what happens with the tight ends with the Washington Redskins. Otherwise, there's been some more um, movement with the Antonio Brown situation. I think it's it's getting entirely overblown. He's said specifically on his um, Twitter or whatever else he's doing, and for those that don't know, he f- basically photoshopped or had somebody photoshop him in a 49ers jersey uh, hugging Jerry Rice. Now, I have no doubt he would love to go play for the 49ers and the whole hype thing. I mean, he'll hype up whatever. It's a nice city to live in. You got a young, you know, up and coming. Uh, I'm kind of stuck on nice city. I don't know that it's a nice city, but the weather should be pretty nice. In other words, I'm sure he wouldn't mind being there, but I don't think he's just saying I want to be there. He said in his little snippet thing that he created that this is about respect. In other words, when a guy like Jerry Rice reaches out, and tries to recruit you to a team, 
you show him the respect to say, yes, I would love to be there. That's what this is about. Presumably, a similar thing would have happened if, you know, I don't know, Megatron or something, some some other, you know, great wide receiver came out and said, you know, I got respect for you, one of the greatest. It'd be great if you came and played for our team. I'm just saying. But yeah, I, I would be willing to bet he'd be more than happy to play for San Francisco, and he'd like to be there. I'm just saying, I think it's a little overblown that he's got his sight sets on the 49ers, and that's really all he wants. I'm just taking him at what he said, which is that he's showing respect. Anyways, beyond that, there was a further report that came out that was uh, even less flattering for Antonio Brown and even more so solidifies what I had. Well, in, in a sense, it solidifies my thoughts. In a sense, it doesn't. And essentially what that is, is apparently even the coach Tomlin and the rest of the staff or players weren't big on AB. And there was a direct quote from this, I don't know if it was an unknown source or what, but essentially Tomlin had said in a meeting regarding Antonio Brown's tardiness, quote, we'll tolerate it now because of what he brings on the field, but the minute production stops, you don't overlook it. That is such a horrible thing to say. And I I mentioned this in regard to the Packers, you can't have a separate standard for your All-Stars than you have for everybody else. That sets a terrible precedent, and it's going to poison your locker room because you're out and out saying that some people are just more important than you. They get more freedom than you. They don't have to follow the rules that you do. Only you have to follow the rules, which then, how, how important are these rules actually? You talk about the rules and how important it is and how much pride we have as a team and all this stuff, but yet you'll let somebody stomp all over it if they get 1,500 yards and 10 touchdowns. So in a sense, I look at this and I say, this guy is incredibly toxic. On the other hand, I look at it and I say, I wonder if in a way you could say Tomlin has created this monster by giving your superstars as much freedom to do whatever they want to do. Aaron Rodgers is disgruntled at times, or at least he seems to be, but he doesn't run roughshod over this team. There is a standard, and even he will follow it. And th- this idea that he runs the team is so ridiculous because everybody, anybody that's even had any attention paid to the Green Bay Packers has seen how Aaron Rodgers wants something and doesn't get it. It's the source of his frustration. So where does this come from that he's running the team? I got a great relationship with my quarterback coach. Do you? He's fired. Me and Jordy, we got a thing, man. We're, we're ready. Oh, he's gone. We need to, quote-unquote, reload. We need to go get free agents. No, nah, not interested. The co- you know, he wants to change this or do this. And the, I mean, there's, there's battles going on where he's changing plays. You know why? Because regardless of what Aaron Rodgers wants to do, Mike McCarthy says, nope, we're doing this. Whether or not Aaron Rodgers is right or wrong is a separate conversation. He's probably right about some of this stuff. We probably should have been a little more active in free agency. Maybe we should have held on to Jordy for one more year. Maybe, you know, we shouldn't have got rid of his quarterback coach. Maybe, 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 maybe. But at the end of the day, he doesn't run a single thing. He is a player. And I've even come out and said, maybe we should give him a little bit more responsibility or get his input a little bit more. Not give him decision-making power, but get his opinion on things. Respect his position and his intelligence. But absolutely you never let him break the rules. And the fact that you have a guy like Mike Tomlin, who I respect and think is a pretty good coach, coming out and saying to your entire team, we're going to let him get away with it because of his production, but when his production drops, we're going to drop the hammer on him? That's ridiculous. And yeah, you know what happens? You have guys like Antonio Brown with all the freedom to do whatever they want, and that's why they start flying helicopters into training camp. That's why they start bringing their Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach into the stadium even when he doesn't have access. And they refuse to kick him out even though everybody's getting upset that he has this guy walking around doing whatever he wants. 
And then you end up getting these superstars who run, you know, they just run the show. And when teammates start to push back, it starts this big revolt. And then you lose guys like Antonio Brown. You lose guys like Le'Veon Bell. All of a sudden, there's a there's a, a tension between your your team and your coaches and your superstars. I wonder how something like that happens. I wonder why. It's so unusual to see what we see with Le'Veon Bell. Isn't it amazing that there's two superstars on one team in one year do the exact same thing? This is a homegrown problem. And the reason I find that interesting is as much as I want to look at him and say this is toxic, on the other hand, I wonder what happens when Antonio Brown goes to a team in which he is given structure. Maybe he's just used to doing whatever he wants and he'll rebel right out of the gate, or maybe there'll just be an understanding right off the bat, this is the way that it is. These are the rules they apply to you as much as everybody else. Maybe if you don't, just like children, if you don't give them the leeway, they start to fall in line. The more you start allowing them, yeah, sure, fine, go do whatever you want, the more they become kind of brats and expecting it. And when they don't get it, they get angry and they get, you know, bratty or whatever kids do, right? They need that structure. And I think, you know, football players, superstars, any people in general, me, you, everybody is that way. You start allowing me to do what what I shouldn't be doing and, you know, maybe I just start doing it a little more. So, pretty stunned by that uh, that comment from Mike Tomlin. And um, from a leadership standpoint, I mean, that alone, again, as much as we talk about the locker room and everything else, that alone, I mean, somebody needs to talk to him and say, this cannot happen. Because in my opinion, despite his success, I don't know that you can fire him, but it's very close to being fireable. Because you can almost look at Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and say they're not on our team because of you. Now, considering the offensive and defensive production of the team, it's hard to let him go because he's a great coach. But that is horrible. But anyways, it is what it is. I still lean toward probably ain't going to happen for all the reasons that I've already said. But I do just kind of wonder. I mean, it's one of those situations where Antonio Brown going to the Patriots just kind of makes sense as much as it makes me sick to say that. And I don't know if they're going to have the cap space, maybe unloading Gronk will help, I don't know. But again, you just put him in a place where he has structure and say you're not going to do whatever you want. See how it goes. But anyways, um, I'm going to, I guess, kind of dance around a little bit. There's Senior Bowl news, and then there's Packers news, and then there's Packers Senior Bowl news, which is kind of what we'll, we'll see how much we can get into that. But sort of generic Senior Bowl news. One very awesome piece of news, and I, you know, take it all, take all this with a grain of salt. But it's come out now that uh, I believe who said this? Should have wrote it down. Don't know. Not Ian Rappaport. Different NFL guy. I forget his name. Daniel Jeremiah. There we go. At least I hope that's who it is. I had a picture of him in my head, and I'm thinking Daniel but Jeremiah. I'm not sure. Whatever. Anyways, Drew Locke is viewed as a top ten pick in the NFL. Now he's played out of his mind in the Senior Bowl, but this is a pretty big jump. Not not massive. I mean, he's second round anyway. But if he is a top 10 pick and Kyler Murray and Haskins and all these guys all of a sudden are suddenly top 10 guys, this is very, very good news. Now, again, you take all this with a grain of salt. But again, if, if you've got, let's say right now, there's rumors about three or four different guys that could potentially be top 10 picks. It just helps the odds that at least one, possibly two are going to be top 10 picks. And picking at 12... Uh, especially with two first-round picks and the ability to move up, it's pretty important to have that. I mean, let's just say hypothetically, two quarterbacks go in the top top three, and the other non-quarterback prospect that gets taken is Quinn and Williams. 
The Packers technically have enough draft capital between the two picks to get up to four and get Nick Bosa. And it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to, you know, if there's competing offers to say, look, we will give you our two firsts and we'll give you pick 180, our other sixth round pick as a kicker, just for the heck of it. If, if that gets us up there, why not? And that's why part of this is so important, especially if we're talking about top five picks, because we have that ability to get up to four and five. So it's a question of who makes it down. And technically, if we give up our sixth, because it's an early sixth, we could probably get up to pick six. So let's say Josh Allen is really that good. He's, he's a top five-ish kind of guy. Elite pass rusher, great fit for our system. If we've got two quarterbacks that go in the top five, Quinnen Williams and Nick Bosa and Ed Oliver are gone, and Josh Allen is sitting there, top five guy, at pick six, we could give up pick 12 and uh, pick 44, our first first and our second, keep our pick 30, and move up and get a guy like Josh Allen at six. Even a third round pick could get us up to eight. After that, it's pretty negligible. I mean, fourth round, you maybe get up to pick 10, which is something. But a third-round pick getting up to pick eight, again, two quarterbacks in there pushes guys way down. At pick eight, it's very possible you got Josh Allen, you've got Ed Oliver, you've got some real serious prospects possibly still sitting there. So that's why I keep pumping this whole, like, yeah, let's get these quarterbacks going. If we get, you know, two or three guys in that realm, there's almost no question in my mind the Packers are going to move up. I shouldn't say there's no question in my mind. I think it would be the absolute right thing to do because, again, there's only so many elite prospects in the draft. If it's going to cost you, you know, on top of this pick 12, because that's kind of the one we're moving, if it's only going to cost you a third round or a second round pick, you got to give it up so that you can get a, you know, you're not going to get Bosa with it, but you know, maybe Quinnen slides, maybe Ed Oliver, if you think that he can be as good as, as, as advertised. Josh Allen, if you think he's that good, you know, whatever, there's definitely options. So I'm loving the quarterback hype, and a lot of them did uh, did some good things in the Senior Bowl. Uh, Ryan Finley, I guess, is about a day three pick. He didn't quite solidify his spot. Daniel Jones, despite having a pretty bad Senior Bowl. And by the way, the game is today. I don't think I'm going to be able to watch it unless I try to bootleg it, but I'm really going to try to be uh, proactive in getting stuff done around the house, so I'm probably just not going to watch it, but I'll I'll try to find it later. We could talk about it tomorrow as far as what happened because it's on uh, NFL Network if I didn't say that. But Daniel Jones, despite not having a great couple practices, still considered a top 50 pick, which is still a pretty good situation. Uh, the, the real interesting thing here is Kyler Murray. He's the real big wild card. I mean, it's kind of a new addition. We weren't sure if he's going to come out. Is he going to go into baseball? Is it, you know, what's he going to do? He decided to enter the draft or at least decided that he was planning to enter the draft. And suddenly it's kind of like he's shot up the board. Mark Jarvis, who I mentioned, who does uh, all of my scouting reports, he was kind of late to the uh, Kyler Murray thing because he's doing reports on guys. He doesn't want to put a lot of time into somebody that he's not sure is even going to be. And he finally did his Kyler Murray thing. And he, he has a preliminary report done, which I want to read a little bit about what he has to say about him. And then uh, also, I suppose, get that up on the website whenever I get that opportunity. But he, he launched him up to pick number one because I, I was skeptical. I mentioned Matt Miller said it, and it's like, eh, I don't know, man. I haven't really heard that. I haven't really seen that. You know, he's definitely not number one on, on my board. He's kind of a, what was he, second roundish. But uh, hearing Mark say that, and I know he's not a media guy or whatever, so there's no re- there's none of that going on. This is, this is 100% his opinion. But, um, yeah, it, it sounds like he's got a lot of really, really great tools. I'm, I need to spend some time as much as I don't really care about quarterbacks. I definitely want to dive in a little bit. 
But uh, another little interesting wrinkle, the, the A's, the athletics, the baseball team, is have said they expect him to be at training, uh, spring training. Now, I don't know if that's them saying, you know, of course we expect him because he's supposed to be here, so it's our expectation until we know definitively otherwise. Or if they're saying we have reason to believe and we absolutely do believe he will be here. Now, here's the situation. If he does go to fo- play football, he owes back to the, the athletics $4.7 million. That's a lot of money. And I've already talked about you can play a longer time in baseball. You can make more money if you're successful in baseball than in football. I mean, obviously, the, the level at which you're successful makes a big difference. But, but and baseball just pays more in, in general. Now, for that to pay off financially, he would have to be a top five pick because top six or later is less than 4.7. Now, I think pick six is 4.6 million in his rookie year, so it's not that big of a difference. But I mean, $100,000 is a lot of money. But if he's a top five pick or more, he'll make more money right out of the gate, I think. I mean, I thought it was 5 million, whatever. I don't know. But here, here's my thought on this too. As much as it seems like baseball is kind of the safer pick, it does seem like Kyler Murray has a passion for football. Remember, he was drafted in 2018. I mean, that's how he ended up with the athletics, or we wouldn't even know right now. The athletics allowed him to play college football one more year. He said, I want to stay in college. So it's not even a matter of, like, you know, would he rather play in the NFL or in baseball and how much money in this, that, or the other. He could have been with the athletics year one. He said, I want to go back to college and play football. So if his plan, I, I mean, it's just, if you, if you think about, if this is strictly a financial decision about which one can I make more money in, it is such a massive risk because he doesn't know if he's even going to be a first-round pick, second, third, fourth. He doesn't know what he's going to be. He doesn't know what's going to happen, what kind of injuries he can incur. It, it just feels as unnecessarily risky as that would be, like his passion genuinely is football. And I think unless he hears he's going to be like a second-round pick or something, he's probably going to be in the NFL. And and based on his talent and based on what I'm hearing and the fact that there are going to be media guys who are more than happy to pump him up and scouts and everybody else that's willing to pump him up just to make him come into the NFL, I would bet he will be in the NFL. So just a couple of bullet points on uh, this uh, preliminary report on uh, Kyler Murray uh, by Mark Jarvis here. What he does, if you haven't seen it yet, and again, go to NFLBigBoard.com and, and look at some of these scouting reports, you can see he, he breaks it down the way that I really like, which is not just general positives and negatives, but each category of what makes a good player in each position. So for quarterbacks, it's reads and decisions, accuracy and ball placement, pocket awareness and scrambling, mechanics and throwing motion, arm strength, uh, relative athletic score, and character and injury concerns are, are sort of the, the categories. And then he assigns points based on how important they are. So, for example, reads and decisions, most important. He assigns 30 points. How many out of 30 do you get? The others that are in regard to, you know, being a quarterback are 15 points. The relative athletic score is 10, and the character and injury is 10. And then he goes down to the bottom and just gives sort of an overview. So, I mean, this is very, very comprehensive. But uh, as far as reads and decisions, he gives a 21 out of 30, saying that uh, his progressions aren't at an elite level, but he, you know, works through it at a functional rate. Accuracy and ball placement is a 10 out of a 15. Pocket awareness and scrambling, 12 out of 15. But what he does with his legs is really, really, really incredible. It's it's sort of like, I feel like the way that people try to describe him to me, and again, this isn't me because I've never watched a second of him playing, is sort of like a hybrid between 
Baker Mayfield and Russell Wilson, even though they're they're actually kind of similar in a way, those two. And actually, if you read down here at his overview, he does mention those two guys. He also mentions Johnny Manziel. So maybe Johnny Manziel and um, and uh, Russell Wilson. If you, if you blended those two guys together, that would more or less be this. He's, he's more athletic than Russell Wilson. So very, very athletic, strong arm, all that kind of stuff. So continuing through with these grades... Um, out of 15 points, mechanics and throwing, he gave them a, gave him a uh, 11 points, and then finally arm strength, 13 out of 15. So very very big arm. Uh, just reading the first sentence here for arm strength, big time arm, capable of ripping at 55 with plenty of arc. So the first sentence of the overview on Murray here says, remember what everybody wanted in Johnny Manziel to be blazing fast, remarkably elusive cannon arm that could hit every throw, brass balls, and the resolve to try any throw from anywhere. Kyler Murray is that and more. It's a few sentences there, but whatever. So that's the guy, 21 years old, 5'10", 195. Um, actually, I never even noticed this before. He's got some comps here. I need to start adding that. <laughs> He's got low, medium, and high comps. That's actually really cool. I've never even seen that before. So low, medium, and high, meaning at the low end, this is what it'll be. At the high end, this is what it'll be. So a low-end comp is Johnny Manziel. A medium comp would be Michael Vick based on athleticism. And then the high-end comp would be Russell Wilson. In other words, at his best, he'll be a Russell Wilson. That's very cool. Man, this is... I'm telling you, man, I picked the right guy. I bet on the right horse. I do need to start adding that to the uh, <laughs> to the site, though, because that's awesome. Anyways, that's a quick overview of Kyler Murray. I'll see about, you know, maybe when we get later into this and we start hearing some more stuff, uh, asking him to, to jump on and give us some insights. Maybe after we do the uh, the draft, I'll talk to him. But anyways, that's pretty much all I got. I mean, there, there's a ton of stuff with the Senior Bowl, but it's a lot of just like, this guy was good, this guy was bad, this guy was good, this guy was... It's just, it's kind of boring. Um, so anyways, we'll move on to Packers news here. Uh, the first thing, there were some roster bonuses that were released. doesn't really matter, but I find it kind of interesting because... When you first look at it, it's like, you know, okay, so they got a few bucks here, there, whatever. Man, it's a lot of money. <laughs> Brian Balaga made $568,750 as a roster bonus because he got $40,625 per game that he was active. Basically, he missed two games, so he lost out on $81,000, which would have pushed him over 600000 Other guys that got that exact same thing, I mean, not, not price-wise, some got less money, but... They got these roster bonuses. David Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley, Clay Matthews, Devontae Adams, Lane Taylor, Tremont Williams, Nick Perry, Mike Daniels, Jimmy Graham, Lance Kendricks, Randall Cobb, Mason Crosby, Byron Bell, Muhammad Wilkerson, Muhammad Wilkerson missed out on uh, about a half a million dollars. So, ouch. But yeah, that's uh, that's pretty crazy. Crazy money. Mostly these are, uh, you look at it, you got older guys, you know, um, Tremont Williams, Nick Perry, guys that are a little more injury prone. Uh, they've got key important positions. You got a lot of outside linebackers. You got guys like Devontae Adams. Definitely not old, but it's like we definitely need you, so here's the money per game. And then pretty much the entire offensive line was given this incentive. Which actually, as I thought about it, is kind of weird. Why do you give incentives for that? Are we thinking that some of these people are faking it? Because I'm not sure what that incentive is supposed to do. Snapped your ACL, huh? I mean, what do you think? Because there's money on the line here, bud. Think maybe you want to play? I don't know. Very weird. Um, there was a interview. It's only about 15 minutes long if you want to go track it down. But uh, Matt Lafleur was on the Green Bay radio station, the Fan, I think. I don't really remember. Don't know. Don't listen to it. I don't live in Green Bay. 
But uh, he was on there, and the the one real standout comment, I think, was talking about Aaron Rodgers, and there's some decent stuff in there, too. It's almost a little cringy listening to radio guys try to talk to a football guy because they try to talk in football terms, and it would be the same for me, to be honest. But it's so, like, generic, like, well, what do you think? You want to be a 3-4 or a 4-3 team? Like, ah, don't ask that. That's such a lame, non-football person question to ask. Like, I, I, I can 100% assure you that LaFleur and Patton are not sitting down going, I don't know, man, what do you think? Should we do 3-4 or 4-3 this year? That's just, that's not what happens. But anyways, uh, the the big comment was about Aaron Rodgers. And um, it was funny because the, the people are saying, a lot of people say you need to fix Aaron Rodgers. And uh, LaFleur's comment was, fix is a bit of an overstatement, which I found funny and kind of awesome because he didn't say that's false. There's nothing wrong with Aaron Rodgers. He said fix is an overstatement, meaning he's not broken, but there's definitely some stuff to work on there. So it was a safe comment, but it's also, you know, reassuring because he didn't just come out and say Aaron Rodgers is fine. He doesn't need, you know, to be coached and, and, and you know, whatever. I, you know, I, I don't need to teach him anything, which he wouldn't say that. But I'm just saying it was encouraging to hear him say eh, it's a bit of an overstatement because clearly as he's watching Aaron Rodgers, he knows definitively there's some stuff that they can work on. So I appreciated that comment. As much as it's being kind of reported around the internet as like, no, LaFleur's got Aaron Rodgers' side. I kind of read that the other way. Kind of looking at it like, yeah, he's got some work to do. <laughs> and it's exactly to the point. It's not like an overhaul. It's it's minor tweaks. It's things that we can do to help improve his play to maybe get him back to being optimal, which is exactly what he needs. Um, otherwise, the biggest news of the day, the Packers did hire, which is my dream, their outside linebackers coach, because uh, as many of you know, I've been in a panic about that. Please hire an outside linebackers coach. Why don't we have an outside linebackers coach? Our outside linebackers seem to have no oversight. I'm panicking. The one guy that was tasked with it, it was a general linebackers coach, also an assistant coach, also a little bit crazy. The linebackers are playing like they have no oversight and they can just do whatever they want. And it's kind of a mess. Please hire an outside linebacker coach. Well, my dream came true. They hired a man by the name of Mr. Mike Smith. So I just want to kind of run through as quickly as I can, which is not very quick because I don't do anything quickly, except maybe talk sometimes. But uh, just try to run through a couple little notes that I was able to dig up. So first of all, he played linebacker for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. He then played outside linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens. And interestingly enough, his outside linebackers coach was Mike Pettin. So that alone is awesome. Right, you're 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 playing college. You go to the the pros. Your coach, your position coach, is Mike Pettin, and now you have an opportunity to not only coach for your coach, but to be his outside linebacker coach. That's just that's crazy. Anyways, after his career, he gets into coaching in 2010 and 2011. He goes to the Jets as an intern. Um, Mike Pettin is once again the guy over there. I don't know exactly, you know. I would have to assume that there's a bit of a connection there. I mean, it, obviously there's a connection. What I mean is this wasn't a coincidence. Either Mike Pettin said, I want this guy, or he sought out the Jets. I'm not really sure, but I'm guessing it was one of the two, maybe a little bit of both. Um, so with that, as an intern, I don't know exactly how much he did with Mike Pettin or for Mike Pettin. It was probably a relatively decent amount because he kind of just has to do grunt work for everybody, including Mike Pettin, who's the defensive coordinator. So head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator are the main guys saying, hey, go get me coffee and then do this. Uh, 2012, he is the outside linebacker coach. So again, very cool. You get to be an outside linebacker coach 
and your defensive coordinator was your outside linebacker coach for Baltimore. So very, very cool to get that promotion. Clearly, Mike Pettin was the one that said, I want him to be my guy. Um, but so we've got that connection. Also, interestingly enough, uh, not that there's a direct connection here, but he was with the Jets at the same time as Muhammad Wilkerson. So there's kind of that whole Jets thing there. But uh, I think, you know, w- w- another one of the biggest things here is the the common understanding. Not just like, hey, we're friends, let's get together. It's the the understanding that Mike Smith has of Mike Pettin as somebody that was coached by Mike Pettin, as somebody that coached under Mike Pettin, as guys that learned under the um, Rex Ryan school together while with the Jets, and that sort of AFC East, you know, the Buffalo Bills, the New York Jets, the Patriots, right? That that kind of, you know, hard nosed, tough defense, cold weather. They they kind of came up in that together. Um, but anyways, his guys over there as an outside linebackers coach: Brian Thomas, Calvin Pace, Aaron Mabin, and Garrett McIntyre. Wasn't a fantastic group. Uh, Thomas was in his last year. Pace was getting near the end. Uh, Maybe, Mabin, whatever, and McIntyre were not super great players. And uh, I think uh, Mabin was in his last year. McIntyre only had a couple years left after that. So no real big standouts as outside linebackers. There wasn't too much as far as saying, oh, look how much better this guy got. Uh, I think Brian Thomas got better, but Calvin Pace got worse or whatever. It just, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where when it's one year, it just, it doesn't usually mean very much, especially when you get toward the end of people's careers. You know, I mean, what are you going to teach a guy in the last year of his career to make him a stud? It's going to be kind of tough. Uh, there was a comment. I found it, I believe on Cheesehead TV, but it was a comment from a newspaper, I believe a while back, but, uh, uh, Mabin made some comments on, uh, coach Smith. Uh, he, he mentioned two things. One is the incredible amount of attention to detail, which I think is very important for the Packers as a whole. I think it was the simple stuff that the Packers are missing out on. We're so focused on scheme and all this kind of stuff. We're missing out on, you know, tackling. It's just very basic kind of stuff that the Packers just in general have never really been very good at. They're just not a very good tackling team. It's always simple stuff, blown assignments. And it just, you know, I mean, we, we've seen year after year of defenses that just look really, really solid in snapshots, like for a quarter or for a drive or whatever. They look incredible. And you see all the first round, second round talent we've been drafting all the, all these years, but it's just, it's simple, silly stuff that just kills us. So I like that. The other thing that he talked about was the amount of time he put into each individual player. He talked about how much he helped him individually as a as a person and as a player because of the amount of time he invested in his players and I think that also is important again Packers didn't even have an outside linebackers coach they had an inside linebackers coach and then they had the assistant head coach who was also the overall linebacker coach and it's just who is dedicating all their time not all their time but really spending hours and hours with Kyler Fackrell who's who's spending hours and hours and hours just with Nick Perry over and over and over critiquing, staring at him, watching him, every little thing, showing him the nuances. And I want you to do this, and I want you to put your hand a little higher here. And, and you know, when you when you swat his arm away, get it closer to the elbow. You're swatting his hand away. What, whatever. Any and all those little things, just somebody that's just locked in to our guys. If we've got four, five, six guys, these are my guys, and I'm going to do everything I can. Who knows? Maybe we just don't have the talent. I would say that's probably true. Nick Perry would be the exception. But whatever your potential is, I want to get the most out of it. And just having a guy that's doing that makes me very, very happy. 
don't think there's any question he has the know-how to be able to teach guys up. You know, his, his track record maybe isn't the greatest in the world, but somebody that understands what Petten wants and can get the best out of these guys, dedicate all their time to not only coaching up these guys, but bringing them up to what Petten's standard is. From that standpoint, I don't think there's anybody better than Mike Smith. Um, anyways, after that, he goes to be co-defensive coordinator for the Texas Tech Red Raiders, where he played college. Now, this I find interesting because you find out he played for the Red Raiders. He played under Mike Pettin. Everything in his NFL or, or in his coaching career has to do with either the Raiders or Mike Pettin for the most part. Now, when you listen to LaFleur talk about, or the Packers, to, you know, no, it was LaFleur talk about hiring coaches, even though this is probably somewhat more of a Pettin hire. I know LaFleur is going to have to sign off on it to some level. He talks about vetting guys and wanting high-character guys. Now, you listen to guys like Mabin who talk about very endearingly the amount of effort he put into me as an individual, the fact that he wants to go coach at his alma mater, the fact that he wants to coach under a guy like Mike Pettin, the guy that groomed him to be the guy that he is. It just it has a feel to it as a, as LaFleur puts it, high-character person. I want to coach for my school. I want to coach for my coach. It just has a very good feel to it, and I, I just get the absolute impression, could be wrong, but I believe he's the kind of guy that these outside linebackers are going to want to play for. No, he's not, you know, he's, he's not running around crazy guy. Well, I don't know, but he, he doesn't have that Mike Pettin feel where it's like, I'm, I'm a madman and I want you to just destroy everything. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'm, tomorrow I'm bringing in puppies, and you're all going to take turns kicking them. Like, we're, we're just going to be psycho. Like, I don't, I don't know if he has that attribute to him, but he's just, he's, he's endearing. He's somebody that I think people can latch on to as a human being. And it, he's one of those guys you want to give your best for him. But anyways, that's just sort of the feel I get. I don't have a ton of insight into that, but it does seem to fit the criteria, especially that the Packers and Lafleur are setting for high-character individuals. So anyways, as co-defensive coordinator in 2013, he played under Cliff Kingsbury, which is interesting. Also, Pat Mahomes was there. All these are somewhat indirect. Those are offensive people, but still kind of interesting. Now, to be fair, Texas Tech was not a good defense. And in fact, they actually went from being a 30 points per game team to a 40 points per game team, talking about how much the defense gave up in his time there. Now, maybe that's Cliff Kingsbury and the offense and all this kind of stuff. When you're putting up 700,000 points with Pat Mahomes, the defense maybe has a little bit more strain. I don't know. Probably isn't that hard for a team that gives up 30 points a game to go up to 40 points a game. If you're really not good, you're just really not good. And if teams go into catch-up mode and we need to launch at 40 yards down the field, it's going to result in a you know a couple more touchdowns. A um, couple of the guys that he coached, at least this year, uh, Kerry Heider, defensive tackle for the Lions. His contract is up, so it's possible there is a connection there. Not an elite player, um, but you know, defensive tackle is a defensive tackle. If we're looking for one, if we want one, there is that connection there. Uh, Brandon Jackson, uh, 4-3 defensive end for the Seahawks meaning he's, you know, on the edge. His contract is also up. Doesn't really fit as a 4-3 defensive end. However, he is 6'3", 295 pounds. So I I don't know why he would even be a 4-3 defensive end. If anything, he should be a 3-4 defensive end, which coincidentally is what we are. So again, I don't know if he's any good. I don't know how much it matters if your outside linebacker coach has defensive ties to some, it probably matters not at all. But it's there and it's something to think about. If they were looking at him, they could at least go to him and say, what do you think of this guy? Uh, in 2014, his star was Pete Robertson. He has not done a ton in the NFL yet, 
but he was actually pretty lethal with his limited snaps for the Redskins in 2017. 2018, he didn't make it out of the preseason. He played in the preseason, didn't make it to the active roster. Um, but the, the couple little interesting things here. Um, first of all, in 2014, with Smith as the outside linebacker coach, as an outside linebacker, he had 13 sacks for the Red Raiders. He went to Washington. His one thing that really stood out at times, and at one point he was graded as elite as a pass rusher, is, well, pass rushing. But the Washington Redskins, for a lot of this time, for whatever reason, sometimes use them outside, but they used them a lot inside as an inside linebacker. So, again, we've got a guy who is a double-digit sack guy for the Texas Tech Red Raiders. His contract is up. Um, His outside linebacker coach in college is now with the Green Bay Packers. If they think they can get anything out of him, and he's going to be dirt cheap, and we need an outside linebacker, if we can develop this guy, the guy that that coached him up and got him 13 sacks in 2014, maybe, you know, if anybody can do it, maybe that guy can. Now, I I think he's entirely a situational pass rusher. Everything else about him was horrific, his ability to stop the run, his coverage, everything else. But as a pure pass rusher, he wasn't that bad. So, again, just something to consider. Uh, 2015 co-defensive coordinator of the Texas Red Raiders again, Texas Tech, whatever. Not a whole lot of interesting going on there. Um, so 2016-2017, he is the defensive line coach for the Chiefs. Uh, if you look at the Chiefs and you think, you know, my first thought is, oh, great, we drafted somebody from the Chiefs. That's ridiculous. They have a terrible uh, staff. However, I talked about the Chiefs before and mentioned if they have any strengths, it's along the defensive line as well as their one outside linebacker, D Ford. Well, from 2016 to 2017, their defensive line coach was Mr. Smith. 2018, and this this is this. If, if there's anything on his resume that's impressive, it's D Ford. I don't know the impact he had on the defensive line to get him to where they are today, which is you know a couple good players here and there. But D Ford was straight trash for four years. This guy becomes the outside linebacker coach, which is his specialty. That's what he does. He's you know not that he can't do defensive line. He's been a defensive coordinator, whatever. But this is his thing. He played outside linebacker. He coached outside linebacker. You know, he coached for Petten as an outside linebacker. He gets a shot to do what he does best. And D. Ford, who is a draft bust, four years, complete garbage. I've said on this podcast and otherwise, D. Ford was a complete and total bust, a waste of a pick. Ha ha, you lose, you stink. In one year, under Smith, he was the 11th best pass rusher in the NFL. Elite pass rusher. And by the way, it was purely pass rush. His run defense got a little bit better. His tackling stayed the same. His coverage was actually one of the worst of his entire career. But as a pass rusher, here's how his career tracked. He was average as a rookie. He was below average as a sophomore. In his third year, average. In his fourth year, well below average. As a fifth-year guy now, elite. They credit him for 16 sacks. Pro Football Focus did. I don't know what his number was. Let me just look it up. So the NFL gave him 13 sacks. And again, I think part of it is the, uh, I don't think PFF does half sacks. I think that's kind of part of the deal. But that's incredible, man. More than that, if you look at his total pressures, and by the way, his year three was actually pretty solid as well. And yes, there's also a jump in his total count, whatever, total snaps, but 84 total pressures, 16 sacks, 19 hits, and 49 hurries. The guy's had 43 hits in five years, and 19 of them came this past year. 30 tackles most of his career. Um, 
Seven forced fumbles. Seven? What in the world is that? He's had two in four years. He had seven this past year. So, anyways, the the jump that he made is just sickening in a in the best possible way. And by the way, just so we're clear on this, 11th best overall player. Guess how he ranked as a pass rusher? Number one in the NFL. Number one graded pass rusher in the NFL. This guy who was a complete bust, a joke, a nobody, four years. First round draft pick. 23rd overall to the Kansas City Chiefs. Four years, no production. One year under Mike Smith, the guy is the number one pass rusher in the NFL. Well, at least for outside or edge rushers. That's incredible, man. That's absolutely incredible. So I'm 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 pretty excited. I, I feel like it's you know, plenty of potential. He's done good things, got more than enough knowledge, understands how to work with Petten, seems to be a really good guy, just seems like a perfect fit. Best outside linebacker coach in the country? I'm not gonna give him that title, but a great fit, yeah, I think so. So anyways, uh, I'm not going to get to the last thing, which is good because I kind of want to do a little bit more in depth on it tomorrow. So we will plan on doing that. But uh, for now, we're going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Saturday. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.